Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, a weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week, we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Amy Austin, Senior Reporter, FT Advisor, and joining me today is Alistair Cunningham, Financial Planning Director at Wingate Financial Planning, and Rory Percival, Regulatory Expert. And we will be discussing how the DB transfer advice market is set to change following the publication of the FCA's policy statement earlier this month. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Good morning. Right, so you would have had to have been living under a rock to have missed the regulators crack down on this side of the advice market, which is, you know, set to change dramatically following the contingent charging ban and introduction of abridged advice in a move to drive standards. So let's start with you, Rory. On the back of the FCA's policy statement, to what extent do you think DB transfer advice will change? That's a very good question. And um, I think there's going to be some challenges for many firms around the uh, contingent charging ban. And you know, we have seen over the last two or three years a, a steady, if not a fairly uh, good flow of firms leaving the DB transfer market. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that carries on somewhat. Um, I, but I don't think overall the changes in the paper are insurmountable. So for the firms that do wish to undertake DB transfers, I don't think there's any um, particular drivers that, that force them out of out of this market. Sure. And what about you, Alistair? What are your thoughts? The contingent charging ban is probably the most obvious um, proposal in the paper um, and probably the most significant. There's obviously others, but I think that's the big one. Um, I guess my view is probably similar to Rory's, although I would say... Um, the change, the way that the ban and continued charging works is actually quite significant. I think people have underestimated uh, the change. The big one being um, there can be no um, implementation, uh, which I think is still very common. And I guess initially I was quite critical of that as a change. Um, I saw it as a sledgehammer to crack a nut, but I'm now appreciative that really it was the only option available. Um, and the reason why I see it as being problematic is effectively um, putting aside a bridge advice, which we could talk about in due course, um, it effectively will significantly for many uh, firms and, and therefore consumers increase that cost of advice. Uh, perversely, the firms giving the smallest number of um, recommendations because of their triage process that effectively will get rid of most inquiries, uh, you'd expect to give the most positive recommendations and assuming that one accepts there is more work involved in implementing a transfer, um, what they'll actually do on the basis that they expect more positive recommendations is probably price them out of the market, uh, which means effectively what you end up being left with is basically a, a smaller number of firms that will basically deal with any inquiry that comes across their desk, even if... Um, yeah, triage should be educating people that they're not going to be benefiting from a transfer. Sure. And what about abridged advice? Like, is this going to change the market? Will more people seek a DB transfer advice now? Or do you think well, it'll be I, relatively I, the same? I, I see abridged advice as quite a positive development, actually, but probably not for the reasons that people are thinking. Um, existing clients of ours, I, I could see being primed for abridged advice, where essentially now we deliberately exclude 
the DB transfer decision from their assets. So these are people that probably have a third of their value in DB, you know, and, and mainly big DC pots. But you can actually say to them now at retirement, you know, we, we know your circumstances, um, with, well, maybe 12 months before retirement, we've considered the option of transferring out. Um, but because of bridge advice effectively only really allows you to say, remain put or we're undecided we need more information um it would be quite good to, to confirm to those people we have considered a transfer and it's not in your best interest for these reasons sure and what about you rory are you a fan of advice? yeah i am actually and i think it was i think it's been misconstrued by a lot of um, firms in the market i think the the original intention was of bridge advice was actually quite a um, pragmatic and helpful to the market historically you know some of the earlier uh, consultation papers um the fca flagged up that a lot of firms were giving a uh, were talking to clients about db transfers and they were you know looking at their situation and they say look it's a bit of a no-brainer you, you it's your only pension scheme what's your main pension scheme you're miles away from retirement uh you know it, it, it provides good core, core bedrock to your retirement planning you should stay where you are and move on and didn't give the full advice now when triage first arose as an issue a few years back that was the fca flagging up that actually that kind of conversation you might be trying to be helpful to the client and not not go take them through the full advice process but you have just given them regulated advice what the the scenario i've just explained is regulated advice because it's recommending a course of action based on your personal circumstances so the abridged so firstly there was the triage process that was um, brought in as a way of filtering out clients who could self-select themselves out of the advice process by understanding a little bit more about um, how the whole thing worked um, and then abridged advice the second stage process the fca brought in basically to have that kind of initial discussion that I had before, perhaps with a little bit more detail, um, to make it a, 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 you know, a bridge, simplified, straightforward, easy, low cost way of telling the clients where it's a no brainer to stay where you are. And there are plenty of those to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's actually quite a pragmatic solution. Whether firms adopted or not, um, I think I've heard quite a lot of negative noises about a bridge device, but I, which I think is perhaps a bit unfortunate because I think it would help fit within this jigsaw quite well sure and obviously contingent charging isn't banned in all circumstances so do you think these carve outs that the fca has proposed um put a lot of responsibility on advisors shoulders as it appears it's somewhat down to you know advisor discretion on whether a person is considered in serious financial difficulty or in ill health i think the, the carve outs are reasonably clear in what the, the categories are that's not a problem you know the serious ill health and the uh serious uh, debt problems but um the the evidencing those could you know the mechanics of doing that particularly the the shortened life expectancy one and being able to make judgments there could be quite problematic i think it was sensible for them to have done that because with those i would say other than people pretty much at the point of retirement or taking benefits there's no point for the vast majority of people to transfer at that point so if you're five years 10 years 15 years 20 years away from retirement you wouldn't normally recommend the client transfers away within my opinion and Alistair might disagree in my opinion three scenarios 
two of those are the carve out serious ill health and serious um, uh, uh, debt issues. And then only in certain circumstances, particularly the debt issues ones. Um, but there's, I would say there's probably a third category as well where people are seriously wealthy. The need for that secure income source of the DP is not that big a deal because their financial security is very well established by just the sheer volume of assets that they've got in, in, in light of the income requirements that they have. Sure. And Alistair, correct me if I'm wrong, you weren't a fan of the carve-outs, were you? Um, I think they're problematic. I think the, um, the the guidance consultation that was issued alongside the policy statement is helpful because it does give pretty clear indication that, you know, if, if you're ill health, you've kind of got to get strong medical evidence to that effect. And if you're in serious financial difficulty, um, you've got to be missing bills and, you know, obviously be above the age of 55. Otherwise, you can't touch your benefits. Um, so I actually think it's quite clear. What I find a bit problematic in terms of the operation of that will be how do you ascertain whether someone's eligible for a carve out without actually going down the route of collecting information on their personal circumstances, which obviously you can't do through triage. So you've almost already got to be down the route of we will give you advice before you can decide whether somebody is um, eligible for a carve out, which goes back to my point earlier that um, the firms that are offering yeah, the broadest advice to the most people and aren't triaging in, in maybe the way that we do, which is quite aggressively, um, it, uh, are, are those that are going to be giving the most carve-outs and giving the most advice? Sure. And what are, you, you know, the most common mistakes advisors have been making in this area that the FCA's guidance has been highlighting? I, I, I think the um, the guidance consultation that uh, Alice just, just mentioned there, uh, GC 20 stroke one, is an absolute must read for all PTSs. And in fact, a lot of non-PTSs would benefit from quite a few sections of it as well, um, particularly chapters three to six, which are the um, client facing ones. There's a lot of good and poor practice in there. There's a very clear steer from the FCA about what good advice looks like in this market and what poor advice looks like in this market so you know I, I could summarize some of the points but actually it's just so dense with information in there that it's it's uh, uh definitely worth a full read yourself it'll, it'll you know it'll only take you an hour or so the um uh, you know, some of the core elements in there there's there's a lot on fact finding poor fact finding and record keeping around the fact finding uh, there's 14 pages just on fact finding alone so it's quite clear that the market hasn't been doing very well and i've been in a number of round tables with the fca over the last um, two or three years on db transfers and they said the same thing in every single one which is what we've seen are some fairly basic errors and it's basic things around fact finding was was, was quite common um, which is frankly quite shocking because obviously the DB transfers is about as high a risk part of the market as you can get. And advisors aren't recording or getting adequate information from clients and recording that effectively, which just then begs the question, well, what are they doing with the, with the, with the less high risk areas of business, you know, retirement income accumulation advice? So that's a real problem and that's a real issue that firms need to get to grips with um, the poor record keeping and people think that oh yeah poor record keeping that's just it's just haven't written it down it's okay it's, it's not that big a deal it is a big deal because you are um the, the files that the fca have been doing there's been a, a large proportion of them have been unclear 
Um, in the in the latest sets of figures, so from 2018, latest uh, material num including material numbers of cases, um, there were 23% of cases were unclear. Now, with the assessing suitability review, which was that statistically robust uh, state of the market assessment back in 2015-2016, the number of uh, um, uh, unclear cases was 4%, if I remember correctly. It may have been 3 or 4%. It's four percent. So, I'm looking at it right now. Four percent. Thank you. I can. I can never forget the un. I never remember the unsuitable and unclear. They're three and four, but I forget which way round they are. Thank you. Um, so that's a huge difference, and people. Some people will think, oh yeah, but file reviewers, FCA, they can always find a fault with something if they look hard enough. That is not how these things are scored. They are only rated unclear if you genuinely can't make the judgment about whether it's suitable or unsuitable. When the FCA do file reviews, and I know this because I designed the system and I trained the supervisors, the approach is to get off the fence and despite an incomplete file, because all files are incomplete in some respect or another, you try and make the judgment about whether you think it's suitable or not. On the balance of probabilities is the expression we used at the FCA. So when we did assessing suitability review one, only 4% were unclear. That's not to say that the rest of the files were, were great. They weren't. There's lots of failings in the file, file records, but you can make that judgment. Now saying 23% the cases, and that's a lower figure than they have seen in the previous rounds of the um, uh, DB transfer work. That's a lot of cases where it's so deficient, you just can't make a judgment on the balance of probabilities about whether that client should have transferred or not. And they, they don't call them unclear anymore because unclear, as I was saying earlier, kind of just gives that impression, oh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a minor record keeping issue. It's not. They now call them material in, information gaps, MIGs, new, new acronym, which I think is very sensible because it's just flagging up. Actually, these are big things that are missing. Like, you know, if you just say flexibility on death benefits as your objectives, that's no good. You just can't make judgments on the back of whether um, whether a case is suitable or not for that. So having almost one in four cases as um, uh, material information gaps uh, indicates that clearly there's a lot of very, very essential information about the client that is not being gathered or and or not being recorded on file. And that's frankly pretty shocking. Sure. And what are your thoughts, Alistair? Um, I don't. I don't. I don't really have a lot to add from Rory, I, other than I could probably sum it up in two words, which is a behavioural finance trope, um, something from the field of social psychology, which is illusory superiority. Um, the number of firms that think we're we're fine, we're doing everything correctly, um, and the problems with everybody else, but actually, um, the data that Rory's just quoted shows the problem is more widespread than most people think. And the FCA explicitly say in the report addresses exactly that point. In the GC, it says something along the lines of a lot of firms don't think this issue sits at their door. And they don't. But the point is, it's much more widespread than just a small number of firms. That's what they're saying. Sure, sure, definitely. I think it's definitely an issue, isn't it, in this market? And do you think that, you know, off the back of all of these FCA proposals, that people will be leaving the DB transfer advice market. You know, there's already been mass walks, walkouts. Do you think it's just going to shrink even further? Uh, yeah, I think um, 
firms that have tight triage essentially send people education and expect most people not to respond and will only be looking at people you know very poor health maybe um financial difficulties but that's not one that we we touch um or at retirement um their costs will go up um and that will price them out the market because you know people are still cost sensitive they don't understand the difference between the work that we'll do which is you know genuinely looking for every option you know can you take ill health retirement um you know is it is it worth you know early retirement on that but even advising somebody not to transfer out is a massive massive task because in finding the ways that you suit their uh, that you meet their objectives you've got to look at you know 10 15 20 different options um so we'll be priced out the market um so then you start thinking well should we only offer it to existing clients um and then there'll be other firms that probably i mean one of the big activities that's obviously gone on behind the scenes is that firms that have had permissions that aren't really using them because it's you know we want to have a string on our bow will start to drop permissions so you'll have, you have people that are leaving because they haven't really done very much work in that area and then you have people that um uh have had the permissions that actively talk about it but really um it's a protection thing or something they just want to make offer to clients because they're independent and then you have the third class of people which will effectively double down i imagine but um that's the most interesting and um yeah we'll see how that one pans out and anything to add rory no, I, I, I made a similar point earlier. I, I, I think the uh, I think the number of firms that are dealing with DB transfers will continue to shrink um, for the time being. Um, the only solution to this, you know, obviously PI is a big issue and a driver in this market as well. But the only solution to this is going to come from the sector. It's not going to come from the regulator, uh, not because it can't come from the regulator. It's because it's not the role to come to the regulate from the regulator. The regulator's done everything it can to Im improve standards in this market. It's now down to the market, the advice market, to give good advice. Frankly, now one of the areas I have been critical of the FCA about is that um it hadn't put out any good and poor practice around db transfers some of those core things about um, prioritizing needs over wants um the different scenarios where it may or may not be um, good advice to transfer i think they should have done a sort of good and poor practice guide in the way that we we have done well, i say we when i was at the sa fca and fsa uh, we did uh, reasonably often like risk profiling and centralized investment propositions and etc um so they, they could have done that a couple of years ago or so but they they have done it now the gc is is the good and poor practice guide and it's a long one and it's a detailed one uh, there's also the advice checker which um advisors may not have spotted but because it's not geared for them it's because it's geared for clients um to check whether they uh, as a cross-reference to see whether they've received the right advice or not um, and in the advice checker, there's a whole load of bullet points that if that's happened, you know, there's a there's a distinct possibility that you might have been given unsuitable advice. So it's worthwhile PTS is having a look at the and firms generally having a look at the advice checker as well as the GC, because taken together, it gives a very, very clear steer of what the FCA thinks is suitable and not suitable. So going forward frankly at this point there's no excuse for the market not to give uh, compliant uh, suitable uh, advice that meets the fca expectations
Um, I don't think I could disagree with Rory more strongly, really. Um, it's been five <laughs> years, and, and, and I don't really... I mean, I think this, this June paper or set of papers is probably the first move forward that I see, uh, a problem that has been um, speculated about for five years and in clear sight for three. Um, it's not down to the industry to um, um, regulate itself, really, because we're powerless. You know, firms like ours... All, all, all we do is effectively cough up our FSCS bills when they come up and bail out the people that are giving poor advice. The, the, the fundamental biggest conflict of interest that still has not been removed um, is the assets under advice. And, and, and let, let's think about what a firm that has deliberately set out their stall to work in this market um, has is, is, is intending to do. So, so, so bear in mind that this will um, rem remove from the market, I think, the marginal players. So the only people, as I said earlier, that are going to be in the market are those that are doubling down. Um, and they've set out their business to effectively um, encourage people to give up guaranteed income, um, to move it into money purchase regime and um, effectively gather assets under advice. I, I understand what Roy's saying, that you know wealthy people may still benefit and that sort of thing. And, and there may be clients that we come across from time to time um, who could benefit from a defined benefit transfer. But that's significantly different from a firm that has set out its stall purely to gather assets under advice. Um, the papers don't really do anything. We've got the nod to um, workplace pensions, but that doesn't obviously solve things at the point of retirement, which is really, as Rory said earlier, um, the main, if not only, time that somebody should be thinking about a transfer. And um, I actually think w where we are presently, apart from the action that's uh, taken place on British Steel, we're no further forward. The, the advice checker, well, if the advice checker has been created, why not actually proactively get the firms that have um, been creating problems in this area to write to all their clients and say, we are undertaking a review of the advice you've been given? Um, it, it boggles my to mind. To interrupt, Alistair, I, I, the firms where uh, there have been problems and there have been you know, dozens of firms where uh, permissions have been varied so that they can't provide DB anymore, uh, that will be happening. But it, but it hasn't happened, apart, apart from the, the activity at the beginning of this month, it hasn't happened up to this point in time. And, and, and no, 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 no. To... I'm, I'm sorry, you're wrong. When the FCA were dealing with those firms in the last two or three years, any firm that they had sort of material issues with, such as the ones where they had a variation of permissions, they will have been undertaking past business reviews. And, you know, I have no doubt whatsoever about that. That will have been happening for years now. Well, there's, there's a very big and large profile firm that's had a Section 166. And as far as I know, they don't, they're writing to their clients in that in that regard. They are or aren't. I don't think they are. I don't think they are. That's my understanding. I, I, I am, where there's a suitability of a vive question within a firm, um, and a 166 is being undertaken. And it depends on what the, the scope of the 166 is, but if there is a material concerns about unsuitability of advice, um, it, it is routine for it to involve a, um, an assessment of uh, cases of you know, past business review. That may not involve writing to clients, uh, you can do you know you do file reviews based on on the on the files that you've got. Typically, what happens is you will do a sample, fifty whatever the number is, um, and a, a decent sized sample. And if that indicates that actually yes, they there are some potential systemic issues here, um, then that sample will be broadened out to the to the um, either to the population of advice more broadly across the board, 
for DB transfers, or if, it, if deficiencies are highlighted in a particular area, um, there will be it will be expanded out to all of the clients who fall into that particular area. But no, but past this business review doesn't necessarily involve client contact, but past business reviews will be routine as part of a those those more problematic firms. And we and we we know that the FCA have got thirty firms in enforcement as well. So all those clients are going to be addressed and and compensated if due. Trust me. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm 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 gently nodding in disbelief because from what I've seen, um, that isn't happening. And, and I, I guess there is, there is also a distinction between what you've just described, which is a sampling of. Uh, a small population and actually reviewing every yeah i'm talking about like the, the the pensions of review we saw in the late 90s where effectively you reviewed all your clients if you if you met a threshold fine you can close the files but if you fail the threshold then they're not i mean at the moment um the onus in the main is very much on the individual um to assess the suitability of the advice they've been given which and i think that inference needs to change Cool. Well, Alistair, Rory, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the FT Advisor podcast. Tune in next week for the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.